The American Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene offers a fellowship in tropical medicine that's awarded annually to medical students who are involved in clinical or research electives in tropical areas. It's designed to encourage young researchers to continue their work and to recognize their achievements. With me in the studio today is the recipient of one of these fellowships, Dan Farrell, who's a fourth-year medical student here at Upstate, along with his mentor, Dr. Joseph Domikowski, a pediatric infectious disease physician at Upstate. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Amber. So Dan is a native of Syracuse who spent the summer between his first and second years of medical school doing research with an Upstate team in Machala, Ecuador, and then he went back this past summer for another research elective. That's correct, yeah. Um, I went to Ecuador between my first and second years to Machala, Ecuador. It's in southern coastal Ecuador. Um, and this past summer, I applied and got the Ben Keen Fellowship through the ASTMH, the American Society for Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, which um, was a big help to go again this summer. Great. And then Dr. Domikowski spent a six-month sabbatical in Machala last year, right? Um, right, yep. So I what spent... were you doing for that? I, I um, applied, and I, I applied with the dean for a six-month sabbatical because I wanted to spend more time there and get some uh, clinical research projects up and going uh, in Ecuador. And the, working with the Ministry of Health <clears throat> and the ethics committees in Ecuador is quite different than, than the experience that I've had here. Things go much more slowly, and so I was um, eager to spend some time there so I could really understand the process and, and work those um, obstacles through. So that's what it takes is sort of being there to be able to do that. So so I want to hear more about the Upstate Ecuador connection and what sorts of projects are underway there now. So can you tell me what you have going on? Sure. That uh, The site in Machala has been active for now um, nearly six years. Uh, initially, that was done with the Internal Medicine Infectious Disease Group and Anna Stewart doing um, surveillance for dengue virus with a, a very nice grant from the uh, Department of Defense. And uh, as things went along, it was clear that we would uh, move toward doing some human clinical trials as well. So uh, really, things are progressing quite nicely there. So you're looking into respiratory viruses? Uh, Yes, my uh, interest for a long time has been in pediatric respiratory infections, especially RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. And I learned a lot about that in and around the Syracuse area. Uh, But very little is actually known about the epidemiology in the tropics, especially in South America. So it's, is it a different disease in the tropics? Well, the, the seasonality is very different, and there's uh, climate influences and probably air quality influences that we need to understand a bit better. Okay. All right. Well, um, Dan, tell me what you were involved in, the times that you've been. Yeah, so um, the first time I went to Ecuador, I was working on those initial dengue surveillance studies, um, dengue and additionally chikungunya and Zika right before I went to Ecuador the first time. Um, the Zika academic was really um, in full swing in South America. Uh, so this past summer, I returned to help um, with the beginning of this respiratory syncytial virus study. Uh, so it's a surveillance study for the causes of the common cold, essentially, in children less than five Um, RSV can cause a severe form of the common cold, bronchiolitis, and lead to pneumonia and other serious complications. So this past summer, that that was my main focus while I was in Ecuador. So tell me, does RSV, does it start as the common cold? Kind of give me a primer on what RSV is, if you will. Yeah, it starts with runny nose, uh, cough, sore sore throat, uh, just 
general malaise and can progress to wheezing, can progress to pneumonia, um, usually resolves on its own with supportive treatment, but certain babies, especially less than one year, um, can go on to have serious complications, especially if they have severe lung or heart problems if they were born very prematurely. So there are certain definite um, serious consequences. So is it, it's, it's more than just one virus. I mean, there's multiple viruses that are responsible for the common cold, right? Yeah, absolutely. So respiratory syncytial virus is just one of them and the one that we're particularly interested in. However, what we're doing is testing for um, 17 viruses and three bacteria, which are the common culprits of the common cold. One of the most common being rhinovirus, which is common here, common there, common everywhere. But really, this data doesn't exist in Ecuador. It hasn't been studied this way, especially in the outpatient setting, which is what we did. Is the seasonality, you mentioned the seasonality is different there. Is it opposite of here? Like, is there winter happening when we're having summer? Uh, not necessarily, even though part of Ecuador is in the southern hemisphere. It's on the equator. That's why it's called Ecuador. Uh, so there's tends to be a peak like we have here in like February, January, February, March, but there's also a summer peak in June and July of uh, respiratory infections. And in general, in the tropics, it, there's just more variability in the seasonality of viruses. And additionally, in Ecuador, there's another aspect, which is altitude, because Machala is on the coast, and Quito, the capital, is in the mountains and much high elevation um, up in the Andes. What does the altitude do to these viruses? Are there more of them at higher altitude or less? Well, it, it turns out that, that this is a brand new area of exploration, even in um, developed countries in the world. And it does appear from uh, recent work that others have, have looked at is that high altitude impacts both the frequency and severity of RSV infection in particular, maybe some of the other viruses too. So we'd really like to compare some of the epidemiology from Quito to the epidemiology along the southern coast, which is at sea level, um, just to see if, if we can find some of those patterns. Would it be um, climactic stuff that's different? I mean, higher altitude, it's colder, right? Mm -hmm, it's Would co that have something to do with it maybe? or? It's colder, there's more ultraviolet radiation, um, the air pollution is slightly different, um, that affects the air pollution, that there's more radiation up higher in the altitude, um, and up in the mountains there's much more variation in temperature and just overall different climate than from a sea level, coastal, tropical area, which is what you'd expect, hot and muggy, or there's a rainy season and a dry season, but in the mountains it's much more variable. Well, it sounds like there's a lot to look into there. Now, your work in Ecuador, are you seeing children who have the common cold or RSV there? Is that part of your research? Do you see the disease in people there? Um, yes. In fact, now that we have testing capabilities, we've begun to test the, the babies that we've enrolled in the study. And um, the very first test result that we got back was a baby that was positive for RSV. So I think that was a good indicator that we're on the right track. You're on the right track. <laughs> I just wondered if there's uh, anything you've noticed, the differences you've noticed between RSV in Ecuador and RSV in babies in central New York. Well, we started um, enrolling subjects in Quito in June and in Machala in July. So we only have a few months of data to really mm, sort of start to make those types of comparisons. But what appears to be true right now is that influenza B is creating a bunch of trouble in Machala. We're not seeing it 
in Quito. I think the RSV season is on its way, and we might have just caught the end of it um, in Machala with that very first positive sample that we saw. Huh, interesting. All right. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dan Farrell, a medical student at Upstate who did a fellowship in tropical medicine, and his mentor, Dr. Joe Domikowski, about research that's underway in Ecuador. So I wanted to ask you, too, um, both of you have spent some, some time in Ecuador, what life is like there, what your daily life was like. Sure. So what did you enjoy about it? Um, I definitely enjoy the culture, the people, the food. Um, so I'll kind of run through a typical day while I was there this past okay. summer uh, working on this study. I would wake up and take the bus or a taxi to uh, the clinic, an outpatient clinic that was a public health center. Uh, taxis there cost about $2, and this is like a 5-10 minute ride. Um, the bus is $0.30. Cents. American money? American money. Ecuador uses the dollar, actually. They mm-hmm. changed the dollar in, um, a few years ago because of inflation in their country. Uh, so in the outpatient clinic, it's actually a pretty, pretty nice clinic. It's new. Um, there's several pediatricians there. There's several different specialties there. Um, Sometimes supplies are somewhat limited, but in general, people are seen and treated and given medications when they need them. Uh, so I would work with a pediatrician there, and when a patient came in who met the criteria for a study having um, an acute respiratory infection, I would ask them if they wanted to be enrolled in the study, and I would take a sample using a cotton Q-tip in the nose and put it in a tube and bring it back to the lab later that day. And um, The lab was close to where you were staying? Yep. lab was not, you know, a 10-minute bus ride from the clinic. And um, kind of more in the center of town in Machala, which is um, not really a touristy town, more of um, a big banana um, center. There's huge banana plantations all around it, and it's a port city, so many bananas are exported from there all over the world, as well as shrimp, huge shrimp farms. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Did you speak Spanish? Yes. Is that the language? Yeah. There's no choice. Yeah. There's very few people actually there that are uh, fully bilingual and we don't, don't really run into many fluent English speakers. We have a few on our team, um, but that's about it. Yeah. So you both are fluent enough in Spanish to get by? Dan or? certainly is, and I've gotten a whole lot better in the two awesome. years that I've been going yeah, there. Being there is a huge help in daily practicing. And so you probably ate a lot of bananas and seafood? Yeah. A lot of bananas, a lot of seafood, a lot of really good seafood dishes, a lot of fruits. Um, the the market, you can get really, really good fresh fruit for very cheap and all sorts of things. Well, I want to ask you, too, um, we're not that far out from the earthquake in 2016, right? And some of uh, your research is sort of tied back to that time. Is that correct? Somewhat. That's how I first came to the idea that we should be studying the air quality measures. Uh, when I actually first met Dan um, in Bahia de Caracuas, which is on the northern coast of Ecuador, a few months after the 2016, it was in April, um, that the earthquake uh, really wiped out much of that coast. Um, all the buildings and many of the homes, several, um, several hundred people died. And neither of you were there during the earthquake? or were no, you? no, that was right before I was about to go to Ecuador okay. my first summer. Yes, and, and I had planned a trip in June that year uh, to 
actually start the RSV project and, and get things up and running. And of course, Mother Nature had a different idea. And when I got there, no one wanted to talk about research. They wanted to help the people up north. Sure. So all of us just went up there and did as much as we could to help. Now, some of the upstate team was, was there on the ground during the earthquake, right? Yes, uh, Anna, Anna Stewart was there along with several of the team members who worked at the site in Machala, and they picked up and went up to uh, the earthquake-affected area and brought supplies, brought medical equipment, and were looking for a place where they could set up an aid station and ended up in Bahia de Caracas and started a relief clinic there, which has morphed and actually has continued through the years and sort of like a community engagement project led by um, one of the students who initially came there. Great. Well, um, now what happens with your findings once the study, I mean, you're, you're sort of early in, the, in your research, but what do you foresee happening um, with the results? Well, one of the reasons why I thought this project was so important um, is because we are finally uh, in a position where we will have uh, soon safe and effective RSV prevention for young infants. You know, a lot of people haven't heard of respiratory syncytial virus, but it is the most common reason why infants are hospitalized in the United States and most of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk a lot about influenza. We have a vaccine, and we have actually medication to treat that if someone does get influenza. We don't have anything for RSV. A couple of discoveries just several years ago have allowed that um, whole uh, investigational path to uh, explode. So there soon, probably within the next two or three years, will be safe and effective prevention measures that we can use. Without, a, va a vaccine? Well, it's, it's um, passive immunization. It's with monoclonal antibodies. But yes, it, it's similar to um, a prevention measure we use now in the U.S., uh, but with a couple of tweaks that make it far better. Um, and far more appealing, especially for developing areas of the world where it will be much less expensive, it will be a single dose for the whole RSV season and hopefully be used in all-term newborns. So we can take those hospitalization rates from 3 or 4% of the whole birth cohort every year down to a fraction of a percentage. That's, that's my goal. The World Health Organization won't provide funding or uh, these types of medications to the country of Ecuador if they don't have the, the epidemiology that they need to show when they need to implement these things. So that's why we're there. We really want to help them get the epidemiologic information that they need. And that would help not just Ecuador, but the rest of the world potentially, right? There, there are similarities, I think, between other areas of, of the tropics where it, there's dry seasons and rainy seasons like Ecuador. Um, but many countries really need their own data because things are... Um, very climate-specific and very geographically specific. Just because one place appears to be similar to another doesn't necessarily mean that RSV season is going to be the same. Okay. Now, is RSV um, only an issue for the first year a baby's alive? Um, it, it affects, it dramatically affects the extremes of age. So we okay. talk, I'm a pediatrician, so we talk a lot about infant RSV and being such a... Um, uh, a nasty player in infant hospitalizations. But in um, individuals who are over 70 years old, it is the second leading cause of respiratory hospitalization, influenza being number one. And we didn't really appreciate that very well because our testing mechanisms were never very good for those elderly adults. Now we have really good diagnostic tests for them. 
Very interesting. I want to thank both of you for being here to share this information. My guests have been fourth-year medical student Dan Farrell and pediatric infectious disease expert Dr. Joe Domikowski. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.